Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, a, a podcast by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. And we are here to talk about preaching Holy Week, or preaching in Holy Week, which uh, I am pretty sure is coming up pretty quickly here. All together too quickly, I would suggest. But before we get to that, we have feedback, Scott. Feedback. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, do tell. Yeah, well, I— uh, Pray tell. I, first of all, I'm just excited that it's not just you and me talking to each other. I mean, I'm happy yeah. to just talk to you. And we've been yeah. doing this for, you know, 20 years, so I guess it's not that surprising. Yeah. But uh, uh, but we got a nice uh, a nice note from a pastor, uh, Pastor Yoakum at Christ the King in Riverview, Florida. Uh, he writes, I wanted to thank you for your podcast. It helps to hear other LCMS pastors reason through the pastoral terrain. It's a rough terrain sometimes. I often feel like there's no one walking with me. It can feel like other pastors are either headed in a different direction or they are miles ahead of me. In short, it's so easy to feel like a lonely failure. So I enjoy hearing you guys talk to the normal matters of parish life. I also enjoy that you simply have the segments, friend of the podcast, good name, no need to change it, and what's bringing you joy. They bring in a healthy, normal balance to the podcast. Uh, where God, where the goes, like a nice winkle among friends, keep it up. Maybe a topic would be when pastors don't experience congregational growth. Thanks, Kevin. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we really and appreciate any uh, feedback that people. I couldn't give. agree more. Um, some of the things, uh, just a just an observation. Uh, I am I am always going to be uh, a little bit uh, nervous at being compared to the God Whisperers. Because they're just a they're just a wild and crazy group of guys, but uh, but that is a that is nevertheless good, um, and I would count them as friends as well. Uh, we will definitely take up that question of congregational growth at some point. It is a uh, uh, it is definitely a good topic. You have any thoughts on Kevin's Kevin's note, Scott? Well, just that it's always nice to get any kind of feedback and, and constructive feedback. And, and uh, it's nice when people, like you said, people sort of acknowledge that they're listening and that, that it's helpful because, like you said, we do this all the time. We're accustomed to talking. And are you still there? I am here. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. I get it. Back. Okay. So it's always nice to get feedback. I enjoyed uh, hearing Kevin's remarks. He, he made some very good suggestions to us, too. Good, 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 good. All right, uh, and we should get to our uh, topic du jour here. Um, if you want to follow along, or if you want to uh, look at some of the some of the links and other things that we talk about, you can find you can find the notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash ten. That's where you will find this episode. Uh, preaching Holy Week. How many Holy Weeks do you think you've preached, Scott? Oh, I've I've preached and been involved in Holy Weeks for at least. I mean, if you count your, you know, counting our seminary years, it's been right. over twenty years. Yeah, but um, there's been there's been plenty of Good Friday sermons. Yep, in, in, under my belt. I believe it. I believe it. So, what does it mean? You know, when we, when you and I were talking about a topic here, uh, you suggested preaching Holy Week. What a what a what does that mean? And, and how do we kind of get at this? Well, I just wonder, uh, you know, I, I wonder how many pastors sort of prepare in advance for one thing in terms of their thinking through their preaching, because every 
Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, and every sermon needs to be about the cross of Christ and his death and resurrection. So, you know, in what way does, does preaching the themes and the texts of Holy Week, uh, how is that different from any other week in the year, and, and how well prepared are we? Do, we? do we spend time in advance sort of thinking this through? Um, do we uh, do we keep up our energy level because Lent is is usually a little extra busy for most of us, and how do we keep fresh so that we're not just kind of falling into automatic mode, same old, same old, cliche after cliche after cliche. So we want to keep things uh, faithful, but we want to say things in a fresh manner if we're able to. Well, I think that for most for most pastors that are that are serving as sole pastors and I, I couldn't tell you the percentage but that's certainly a pretty good chunk of the of our church body the Missouri Synod um, they're coming off of preaching probably two different sermons a week for the previous five weeks and then they come into Holy Week and they're gonna have Monday Thursday one or two services on Good Friday possibly, a uh, Holy Saturday Easter Vigil service, and then one or two or more uh, services on Easter. So I think that that number of sermons, at least by Easter, to me, feels like it is roughly a bazillion sermons. Yeah, and you know, my uh, fieldwork pastor, a pastor that I still consider a mentor to me, his name is Peter Ledick out in Danville, California, but I don't know if he still does this, but when I was his field worker back in the seminary days, in the days of Noah, um, he used to preach two sermons, two different sermons at the two different services so at, on Easter morning. So he would have the vigil, and then we would have sunrise service with one sermon, and then we would have the main service, uh, the bigger service, later service, that would be a, yet a second sermon so that people could, if they wanted to, stay through the whole <laughs> the whole morning right. and hear two different sermons. And I, I just feel like that was cr- crazy, crazy, an overachiever. crazy. He's an over, yeah. overachiever. But I, uh, you know, I, I appreciated it as one of his listeners. I always thought that was kind of cool. Of course, he had field workers from the seminary who could come in and at least do one of those. Right. And you right. have some retired pastors, don't you, in your church who can I do. perhaps help carry the burden? Do they? I can't. I Well, yes, but, um, well, one of my retired pastors, uh, Pastor Charles Fro, is currently teaching in Kenya at the Lutheran Seminary in Matongo. So he's no help to me at all. Um, and sometime, And then one of the other pastors is doing a vacancy, and then the third retired pastor I have, uh, I think he may be around, but I'm not sure. So it kind of hits and misses. Um, yeah, I am, yeah. I, and I didn't have anyone in Wisconsin, so I am pretty used to doing it more or less on my own. Um, sure. And that is a that is a challenge. It really is. And frankly, in in some respects, I suppose it's easier now than it was ten years ago or fifteen years yeah. ago. But in other respects, it's harder. Because, as you said, I've got I've got a lot of Good Friday sermons that I've written, and you start to feel like you've said everything. Especially if yeah. you're kind of doing the typical, uh, typical Lutheran uh, read the Passion during Lent. So you've really almost had half a dozen Good Friday sermons by the time you get to Good Friday, and uh, yeah. and 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 sometimes, at least from the preacher's point of view. 
I feel like you want to almost say he's dead already. Let's get on with it. Yeah. Um, well, that's tough. why I that's why I asked that's why I asked whether or not you or whether do you think it's a good idea for pastors to sort of prepare in advance. Do you keep a file? Are you one of those guys that you know so that in 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 June or in August or September, whenever you run across some idea that you kind of put it away in your Good Friday folder? And that way you can pull it up and get some ideas that have come occurred to you throughout the year. Do you prepare for uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday by doing things like that? Or do you just kind of, hey, next week's Holy Week, I got to start cranking out sermons? Um, I wish that I had a, a straight answer for that. Some years I have been more prepared than others. Uh, it, it also depends a little bit on what I'm doing for the midweek series because um, sure. I don't I don't do a uh, – uh, I'll call it a canned midweek series every year. I probably do that every other year or maybe every third year. Um, but a lot of times those will come with sermons, and that, of course, is its own topic. But uh, but at least thematically, that that may uh, that may go into whether or not I'm uh, – how far ahead I'm preparing. One of the things that I do in my preaching is that I do uh, keep pretty careful – careful records digitally I don't I don't use um, paper for any of this but digital records of all of my sermons so I think that I could pull up in pretty short order every sermon that I have preached on Good Friday since I've been a pastor because I do them almost all on the computer even if I write them out I'm gonna I'm gonna end up typing it you up still the type end. them in yeah yeah mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the only exception to that's going to be if I'm preaching off of an outline or I'm using a mind map or something else but that is a whole nother topic um, yeah well and and but that does kind of bring me bring me into uh, the fact that Holy Week is the it is the best of times and it is the worst of times for pastors I think I I absolutely yeah. love Holy Week it is um, it is a wonderful wonderful, week it is the week of weeks but it is it is exhausting and i i almost feel like and this and maybe this is my own narcissism but i kind of feel like i'm going through all of this work of writing all of these sermons and the least that you could do is show up uh yeah so it's so <laughs> right. I, I i do kind of feel like at the end of holy week i want to give the people that have attended all or most of the services, I want to give them some kind of a prize. You know, it's almost too mm -hmm. bad we don't believe in purgatory because I think that that could that could really be helpful occasionally. That would be um, maybe a motivation. Yeah, probably yeah. not a good and, you know, idea. And, <laughs> no, and and some of the services are very always well attended, but um, I know you had, had told me once that you do a noonday Good Friday service, and we're going to start one. This will be our first year to have a new day, uh, at least in my tenure. Friday service, we've always done like an evening one, and we'll still do that, but we'll have a noonday one as well. Is that noonday yep. service for you well attended? Um, it is better attended than I think people expected. That is a new thing since I came here. Um, but it, if I look at my congregation, I think this is more true now than it was four years ago. But I have a lot of retirees. I have a lot of people that do not drive at night, just period. Oh, and yeah, right. and and so having uh, and, and so they just frankly can't participate in most of those services. So I did an Ash Wednesday noon service and seven o'clock service, and 
and the noon service was really very well attended. And I was afraid no one was going to be at the evening one. And the evening one was attended as normal. So uh-huh. uh, to some degree, it's it's a matter of if I'm going to go through the work of preparing it, if I can kind of come up with when people are going to be there, it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Do you preach the same sermon on your Friday noon or do you do a different sermon? Uh, it depends on my level of preparedness. In my mind, yeah. I want them to be different sermons because they are yeah. they are different events. You've got at the noon service, what we typically do is the uh, is a slightly shortened version of the chief service for Good Friday in uh, in the altar book, and then the evening yeah. service is essentially a tenebrae service. But even that is, and and this is largely inherited on my part, um, even that is kind of a hodgepodge between the chief service and a tenebrae service of darkness. Uh, So so they are different services. I think that they have a little bit of a different emphasis, but some years I've done the same. That's for sure. But that kind of gets at what I think is one of the hard things for me about Holy Week, and that is, do you try to do a, an overarching theme for for Lent and Easter, or do you simply do kind of the do straight text liturgical stuff? So just to give an example, this year I'm doing a midweek series on the Lord's Prayer. And so we did the the introduction on Ash Wednesday, and then I've been taking a petition. So tonight we're on the fourth petition. We'll do five next Wednesday, which is the last midweek one. And then I'll do Lead Us Not Into Temptation Monday, Thursday, and and then Deliver Us From Evil on Good Friday. And I kind of felt like that made sense. Yeah. So so that I'm going to do this year. But um, but most years I don't I, I'm not quite that thematic, I, and I think that's because I'm just not that creative when it comes to these things. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't want to do a theme if it's going to make my life extremely burdensome. <laughs> and sometimes, it, <laughs> right? You know, so so I will I will do a theme for my midweek series, but Holy Week I I I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever extended. Maybe I have once or twice, but I don't usually extend that theme because I find that. For me, at least, when I try to do that, it's usually forced. I mean, when you what you just described for the Lord's Prayer sounds like it's going to fit quite naturally, but but in others that I've attempted, it, it just felt like I'm just trying to force this Good Friday thing yep. in to fit the theme. But I also want it to be a Good Friday message, and you know, and it just felt like I I can't have two themes, so I'm going to just stick with the day right. and with the with the with the Passion narrative. Yeah. And that's um, and that's definitely uh, pieces to it. Now, the one one thing that I have never done a lot of, really, is um, is is doing uh, I'll call it more more didactic preaching during Holy Week. You know, uh, we're going to talk about some preaching resources in a few minutes. But um, uh, if you look at at for instance some of Luther's. Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday sermons, uh, especially the Monday, Thursday ones, they are mm-hmm. quite didactic. They yeah. are, they are, uh, here is a sermon on the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you about it. And, and you know what? I, and kind I of do going that. from there. Yeah. Do That's you? one thing I do. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't do it because Luther does it because I didn't know that till you just said that. 
But um, I, I've all, that has been, because at least in my congregation now, Monday Thursday is when we do First Communion. Okay. And so... So it just seems like a, a, you know, it is the end of a, a one segment of their catechesis. And I do try to make the the Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday sermon more catechetical than I usually, than my other sermons are during that week. Hmm. Interesting. And that, and that fits. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense given yeah. your, given your context. Um, yeah. I ha- I guess I've done that occasionally, but uh, at the same time, I'm always struggling with the relationship between uh between didactic or catechetical preaching mm-hmm. and a more strict proclamation and, and i think that that tension is what mm-hmm. you find throughout preaching in the scriptures too i mean I, you can't look at peter's sermon on pentecost and not see that as catechesis he is he is interpreting for mm-hmm. them the story of israel in light of jesus and that's and that's catechetical. Now it's also charismatic. It's also, it's also very proclamatory. So it is. I don't think that there's a magic uh, formula there, but but I tend more toward the charismatic. Well, that's my normal. That's how I. That, I mean, that's how I preach normally. Is not so much in terms of, di, you know, didacticism, but but with that particular one, I have. I don't know. I mean, I haven't. I don't know why I didn't do it because I saw oh Luther has done this. I, I just have always felt you know what it seems to me that if that I should do at least one sermon annually where I really go into some depth. I mentioned I talk about the Lord's Supper frequently, if not almost every week. I mean, in some way it gets into the sermon, but I do um, I do try to take one a year that I, I just there's a couple of times a year where I really want to make it a teaching. Te- like you know, Reformation Day. I tried. That's usually more of a didactic sermon. Uh, talk a little more about right. justification by faith. Not that I don't talk about that every other Sunday, but but you know, give it a little more of a of a teaching tone right. or, or feel. But I think overall, I think kerygma has to be the main main approach to preaching. At least that's how I've always seen preaching. Yeah. Oh, certainly, certainly, and that, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more too. Um, now, do you ever talk about some of the things that happen during the services? Like, do you have a, do you do the bearing of the altar or the stripping of the altar mm-hmm. on Monday, Thursday? Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever mention things like that in your preaching during Holy Week? Yeah, I do. And I, I don't always, and I don't always do everything, but I usually will try to, what I do in, instead of bringing that into the sermon is throughout the year, I write a short one or two sentence blurb in my bulletin every week called Why We Do It. And, you know, I talk about... Oh, that's awesome. I talk about everything. You know, I talk about kneeling. I talk about the part, all the parts of the liturgy. And I repeat them, you know, as I, I've got maybe 50 of these or something. And then they, they I just repeat them. And you're going to give those to me, right? <laughs> yeah, and and why you know why do we sing hymns and why do we sing psalms and you know why we do it? But I always try to make it one or two sentences long, and then when and then when it's around Holy Week, the, you know there'll be you know why do we right. have palms on Palm Sunday or why do we strip the altar? And, and so yeah, I mean, and so so I do get it into the sermons occasionally, I, I if I can, but um, I don't necessarily yeah. have to. And that feel makes like I have that to. makes sense. I'm I am always sensitive as a 
as a liturgical preacher and as a liturgical type Lutheran, I'm always sensitive to the fact that I don't want to be doing stuff that is just for the sake of doing stuff or for the sake of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fitting some agenda or platonic ideal of what worship on earth should look like. Uh, that, that's just not how I, that's not how I think as a pastor. It's not how I function as a pastor. And, and ceremonies are there in order to teach the gospel. So it, I, I, I certainly don't think that there's some sort of, if you do something out of, that is not a, an every single time topic, then you must mention it in the sermon. I mean, this is not some sort of a law, but to give you an example, it, this year at my congregation, we are veiling the crosses on Passion Tide on, on this coming Sunday, starting this Sunday in Lent. And, and then they will be unveiled right. during the Good Friday service. Now, that, that has a couple very practical implications for me. Namely, do I do it at one of the Good Friday services or two? I, I don't know yet. Okay. When the Holy Spirit reveals that to me, I'll let you know. Um, but but the, because they're being veiled, uh, I think it would be yeah. impossible. And this is the first time we've done it. I think that that would be impossible for me not to oh absolutely not to be deliberate in preaching about that because that is a that is a a um a ceremony that is designed to teach to teach the gospel and but it is sort of counterintuitive how is it that yeah. not seeing the cross right, right. teaches no, us the cross I, well yeah <laughs> you'll have to come no, to I church to find out <laughs> anytime i've introduced a new ceremony or altered a ceremony, um, I will either talk about it in the sermon. Sometimes I have like at, at my before the ser- wouldn't do, I, w- I wouldn't do this on Good Friday, but but on other services, I might say some announcement before I, we begin the service a- as to what's going to be different about it, and maybe just actually talk for two minutes right, about it. Right. I've done that before too. Usually, I, like I've done that when I've introduced ashes on Ash Wednesday before the service starts. I give an explanation. And, right, but but um, yeah, right. And I will do that this this Sunday too when we you know we're veiling the crosses, so we'll do it probably Saturday morning. And I will men- and I will talk about that uh, at the beginning of the service because yeah. everyone's going to walk in and they're going to see this you know this huge cross right. is draped, yeah. and it's going to yeah. be weird. So we'll we'll definitely do that. Um, and I try to I try to be intentional about those things. To not just let them kind of, uh, once again, I, as a pastor, I have, at least I think that I have in my mind, what the platonic ideal Lutheran congregation should look like. And, and I am constantly fighting against doing things for the sake of an agenda. That is to make it so that things are just like I want. And doing things for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the people who are there hearing the gospel. And that has to apply to preaching, that has to apply to ceremony, across the board. How do I not let my own, and even if I'm right, how, well, and of course I would be right, um, how, how do I keep that from, from kind of taking over so that I become my own pope? <laughs> right. No, I mean, I think we are teachers and ceremonies exist to proclaim the gospel. And if they're not, if they're, if they're distracting or if they're obscuring the gospel because people simply don't understand what they are, 
then it's better not or reject, or reject them. Them. it's better not to do them or or so I think anything you can do to prepare people for you know and this is a time of year that even the most free of the free churches the ones that are the least liturgically elaborate this is the time of year where if they're going to have some cer- added ceremonies it's going to be now um, I know I know I know Baptist churches yep. that use palms on Palm Sunday observe Lent do stuff on Good Friday you know I mean right. so I mean even even churches that aren't all that high church particularly are going to do some of these things during Lent and, and good for and Holy Week and so it's it's got to be taught it has to be explained and I will sometimes put it in the bulletin and and discuss it in advance with an email to the whole congregation or something like that yeah that makes sense so what do you do just to just to move us along because uh, I know you have another uh, you have another yeah. gig um, so what do you do to keep your preaching fresh? How is it that you don't just pull out your sermon from 2002 and kind of go on a three-year cycle yeah. of sermons? Or maybe no, you do I don't that. do that. I, I do frequently review my previous sermons. I, I won't lie, and and occasionally I will find a nugget that I'll carry on. I don't feel like it has to be a hundred percent original and brand new to me that that year. But I I never re-preach a sermon. It's always a different sermon. And I, 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 sure. you know, for me, one of the ways that I find, I, th- I would say two things. There's two things that are essential to keeping fresh as a preacher. One is to read widely. And by that, I mean, don't just read theology. You've got to read theology, but, but to read uh, other books of philosophy, books of political science, books of current events, whatnot. Biographies are a tremendous source of inspiration for sermonic material. I also... Um, think it's important to read fiction and um, and poetry even, but fiction is a way to keep the imagination stimulated. Your imagination is a faculty that is like a muscle, like other, other faculties that we have, that if you don't utilize it, it becomes... Uh, it becomes atrophied. So you want to utilize your, your imagination. Right, so I right. think that's important for, for having a, a fresh preaching approach. That's my first thing, read widely. My second thing is, it seems obvious, but this is the time of year when it needs to be said, and that is make sure I get enough sleep. If I am tired and exhausted, <laughs> honestly, yeah. honestly, if I'm tired and exhausted, that's there's no sure way to getting a dull, repetitive, in-the-rut sermon out of me than when I'm exhausted. But if I'm getting enough sleep, then the creative juices yep. are more likely to be there, and I'm more likely to be able to write right at my best, whatever that is. Well, and, and I will add a, I'll add a couple thoughts, thoughts to that. I certainly would give an amen to both of those. Uh, I would say, uh, one, uh, my one would be read good preachers. Mm. Good preachers need to be reading good sermons. Mm -hmm. Even a great preacher can improve their craft Mm -hmm. and none of us are Jesus. Last time I checked. Yep. So, so the more that I'm able to find and read great preachers, uh, and, and that may be from a theological end of things, but that can also be from a rhetorical end of things. I can, I can read a Baptist or a Roman Catholic or someone else and can learn something about rhetorical device and how, to, and how to preach even if I totally disagree with the point that they're making. So 
I think I would I would even go slightly farther than that and say not just good preachers, but good good speakers. Yeah, um, and that's can, that's can gonna just, be a good thing. Yeah. Can I just add to that? I think it's also helpful to listen to them if you can find podcasts right. for yep. contemporary preachers, listening to Lutheran preachers. But I do occasionally listen to evangelical preaching and, and Roman Catholic preaching that I can find and, and not that I you know not that I am, am influenced in how I preach the gospel by them, but there there's some there's some tips for delivery and there are tips for presentation that aren't aren't and antithetical to our Lutheran confession that we can bring in. Right, right, right. Well, and that's a, I think that would be a really interesting topic for us to take up at some point would be uh, the, the uh, I don't know what, even know what to call it, the left-hand kingdom side of preaching, <laughs> something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, um, well, I think, I, think you did it, I think you said it best. I think you said it best when you just said the rhetorical element yeah. of it. So listening so, to speeches even. Yeah. So reading good preachers and, and speakers. Uh, and then my second one is to work ahead as far as possible. Last and, and believe me when I say I am uh, I am preaching to myself here, so to speak. Um, last week, I had this this wonderful, marvelous, absolutely bizarre event happen. And that was that I had my Sunday sermon done on Thursday. It was like it was amazing <laughs> and and it gave me three days to think about it and to revise it and 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 you know it, and it's not that I was like going back in constantly and tweaking it but because I got it out of my head that allowed me to sort of analyze it a little bit more and for me as a preacher that was a much better process the the farther ahead I am able to prepare uh, generally speaking, the better off it's going to be. Now, that is the challenge of Holy Week is how far ahead can you actually work? It's kind of hard to be thinking about an Easter sermon right now. Um, but I'm here to tell you the Easter sermon has to be written before Easter because oh, yeah. otherwise it's going to be a mess. So those are, my, those are my those are my two. Night. No, well, you can, but I don't recommend it if you can avoid it. Uh, I'll put yes, it that way. Well, um, just a few uh, a few other uh, thoughts. Uh, one is uh, a resource that I'm gonna that I'm gonna put up on our resources page, and that is a bulletin insert for Passion Tide and Holy Week. Uh, as much as I would love to say that I wrote this and this is all my own brilliant words, this is a it's more like something that was discovered uh, in a in a cave in Qumran or something. Uh, where I don't know what the actual origin of this document is. It's a Q document. I don't know, but it's a it's a little insert. Uh, I've edited it. Um, I know that many others have seen it, and it's and it's kind of a look at some of the ceremonies, particularly surrounding Holy Week, that I think will be uh, will be useful. So if you're interested in that, you can go to thecruxofthematter.net, and you'll be able to find it. Uh, and then I listed a few other books, Scott. Um, I don't know if you have uh, any or all or some of these books or not, but I wanted to mention them to our listeners. Uh, the first is The Church's Year of Grace by Dr. Pius Parsh. Parsh was a, uh, a Roman Catholic 
theologian earlier in the 20th century. This is a delightful little five-volume set. It's geared toward the uh, the pre-Vatican II Roman lectionary, which in our ears is going to mean the historic lectionary. But mm-hmm. um, the Holy Week section in particular, I think he does a good job of explaining a lot of the symbolic history behind many of these ceremonies that, that we may not know anything about. So it's kind of useful for that. Um, cool. The other, the next is the Sunday Sermons of the Great Fathers, that four-volume set. Are you familiar with that set, Scott? Mm-hmm. Do you know that set? Yeah. It's a oh, just yes. just fantastic sermons. Um, I, I read it pretty regularly. Uh, forces me to be thinking not only in, uh, in kind of Lutheran categories, but patristic categories, not that those necessarily contradict each other, of course. Um, and then one final one I'm gonna I'm gonna mention now. I'll mention uh, I'll mention a, a couple others later when I get to my uh, my bringing joy works. But uh, and that is a book called An Explanation of the History of the Suffering and Death of Our Lord Jesus Christ by Johann Gerhard. Uh, Gerhard, of course, is uh, from the Silver Age of Lutheranism, late 16th, early 17th century, and this is a, an extensive study that he did of the passion and, and and it is an absolute gem i read it nearly every year and have and have found his his insights from a homiletical point of view are incredible so good stuff there you have anything else that uh, in terms of other other preaching things that that grab you or come to mind right now or should we move along uh, nope, let's move along. All right. Our friend of the show for this week, and, and in this case, he is quite literally a friend of the show, or at least a friend of the Scott and Todd, uh, is, uh, is our friend, Pastor David Peterson. Reverend Peterson is the pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. At one point, I think, was your pastor. Am I right on that, Scott? Yep. That's, yep, that's I thought, so true. I thought so. And, uh, and he was a classmate of mine at seminary, so uh, Pastor Peterson and I go way back and have way more stories about each other than probably should be legal. Uh, he, he wrote a book that came out, I want to say, a year ago called Thy Kingdom Come, Lent and Easter Sermons. It's a delightful little volume of his sermons, again, geared toward the, toward the historic lectionary, which is what they use at Redeemer. Um, but if you want to, if you want to have a good read of of the relationship between law and gospel and good rhetorical device, uh, David is as good a preacher as I know in the Missouri Synod. So, and you frankly have heard more of his sermons than I have, since you actually were one of his parishioners. Maybe you were at some of those sermons. Probably so. I don't know. Pr- probably he is exceptional, both in terms of content and delivery. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give him a big head, though, so we better stop talking about no, it. No, I won't say that to him, but yeah, it, I yeah. believe it. Right. So what is bringing you joy this week, Scott? Pray tell. Oh, okay, so um, I didn't choose something that has to do with preaching. What I did is um, there's a little text. It's, uh, it's a Roman Catholic book called Pastoral Care of the Sick, and it's just this got this sort of fake leather cover and it's it's a pocket size and it has rights for ministry to the sick including anointing of the sick and if you're if you're I'm kind of interested in 
bioethics, and so that often overlaps with ministry to the sick and the dying. And so I've been very interested in the ritual of anointing the sick in terms of church history and do Lutherans do this or why don't we or why haven't we? And I know that the LSB, um, one of the LSB, LSB companion volumes includes a rubric for anointing with oil. But right. um, this has been a great resource for me to sort of study that in terms of what the Roman church does today. And um, I've been trying to prepare sort of a, a Lutheranized version of something like that, that that I can use and have used uh, um, in my pastoral ministry. Um, a book kind of related to that topic is uh, is one. Honestly, I don't know if it is still in print. I will, uh, but it is one of my most treasured volumes because it comes from, uh, uh, to a great extent, it comes from. Uh, uh, the Mind of Dr. John Kleinig. Um, it was edited, uh, the title of it is Rights and Resources for Pastoral Care. Um, and this is kind of the rights, the pastoral care companion volume for the Lutheran Church of Australia. It was edited by uh, Pastor David Schubert, but uh, I know enough about, about Dr. Kleinig to see his hand throughout this book. And, and he, he mentions in any number of places the process, what it means to anoint, why, how, how this is connected to giving a blessing and the relationship and anointing and prayer, etc. Um, if you're really nice, I may even let you borrow it, Scott, unless you have it. Do you have a copy of that? No, but I wonder how I could get a copy. Do you think I could? <laughs> how did you get one? Uh, it, for a little while, they had it at the seminary bookstore, but I haven't seen it there for years. I'll, I'll look around, too, because it's, it's an amazing little volume. came out in about uh, maybe 1998, I see, so, so 17 okay. years ago, something like that. Um, my uh, pick for this week of bringing joy is another, another book, or there are kind of two very similar books, that are connected to what we're talking about. The first is called Holy Week and Easter Sermons of Dr. Martin Luther. Uh, and then the second is Martin Luther's Easter book. Uh, the second one was edited by Roland Bainton. Uh, and these are, these are both collections of Holy Week and Easter Sermons of Luther's. Uh, Luther has such an incredible way of speaking, of speaking directly to the hearer that is uh, that is profound in its simplicity, and these are uh, these are great little volumes. I will often read Luther, especially when I'm stuck um, on a sermon, and uh, and during that time when you've got five, six, seven sermons or more that you've got to write, sometimes the juices just aren't flowing anymore, and you need something to kickstart you. Well, Luther is a pretty good place to go, so I think that uh, those volumes will be good. You can find all of this stuff and more in the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 10. We're at our 10th episode, Scott. Uh, yeah. I think that this should do it. Any final thoughts, my friend? Uh, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Well, that pretty <laughs> much sums up the day. So peace yeah. be with you all, and thanks for listening. Take care. Yeah, goodbye. All right.